Third and three. We'll see a pickup sometime on the right side, possibly. Montana. Looking, looking. Throwing in the end zone. Behind the bag, it gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to game six of the 1986 World Series. The Mets are not only alive, they are well, and they will play the Red Sox in game seven tomorrow. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. This is It Was a Thing on TV. It's a Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 295, submission number 274, Shasta McNasty. That is the name of the show. Shasta McNasty aired on UPN from October 5th, 1999 to August 1st, 2000 for 22 episodes. Record deals, bad women and all Getting paid off this music to the label took a fall Living by the beach, reaching out to each A dog and three of us made Shasta McNasty Shasta McNasty Shasta McNasty In 1999, UPN was mired in sixth place The only thing perhaps holding it up was Star Trek Voyager, and even then, it was on its last legs. They did make two aggressive programming moves, both of which would come to fruition on the night of October 5th, 1999. One of them would be acquiring the rights to air a new property from the World Wrestling Federation, WWF SmackDown. The other would be this show that aired right afterwards in a special preview. Created by Jeff Easton, who is a producer and screenwriter known as the co-creator of White Collar, which would be a lot more successful than this show, let's be honest. Shasta McNasty was the name of a band. And because it's 1999, it couldn't just be any band. This was not the Monkees. 
It was not even the new monkeys. This was a rap rock band who released one demo. And it was trashed before the show even began. True story. You see, Shasta McNasty consists of three guys from Chicago named Dennis, Scott, and Randy. They were signed to What the Funk Records. What? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> what the fuck? This is all fleshed out in the pilot. They were signed to What the Funk Records. Big deal with a hefty signing bonus. However, before they could record a note for What the Funk Records, What the Funk went defunct. According to the show, the IRS came a knocking and closed down the place to be replaced with. A Basket Robbins ice cream parlor. Well, what'd they say in Ant-Man? Basket Robbins always finds out. Three years at San Quentin, huh? You found out. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I must give you credit for saying, what the funk went defunct. That was clever. But they were allowed to keep their sighting bonus. And hey... Dennis even found copies of their demo. So if they want to shop it around, they're able to. But they don't really shop the demo around. They spend a great majority of the season looking at women, living that life on Venice Beach, looking at women, getting into trouble, and also looking at women. And uh, gigging to make rent. Wait, what'd you say? Gigging to make rent. To make rent? Yes. They wanted, they, they needed to gig because they wanted to see rent. I want to see rent. I want to see rent. Getting to the point where we're looking for shows that involve rent for some reason. Much like the monkeys, but not quite like the new monkeys this was basically a slice of life day in the life of three bandmates who are looking for their big break they found their big break but then their big break went broke i swear to god i just think it's so who makes up shasta mcnasty well, we told you, Shasta McNasty is made up of three friends from Chicago, named Dennis, Scott, and Randy. Dennis was played by Jake Busey, who is known partly for being the blonde guy in Starship Troopers, but mostly for being A, a really good video game voice actor, and B, being the son of Gary Busey, who we talked about in previous entry. Gary Busey, pet judge. Hey, hey justice! justice! <laughs> we, we all three of us thought that at the same time. That's amazing. It was not rehearsed. Nope. I'll admit I chimed in with just the justice part because I really didn't know if you guys were going to go there. 
Oh, we told. Oh, you knew. I knew you were. I just didn't want to jump the gun. And then you have Scott, who is sort of the de facto leader of the group. He does most of the breaking the fourth wall and most of the uh, adventures somewhat sort of circle around him. He's played by Carmen Giovanazzo, who is known for two seminal roles. One in all nine seasons of CSI New York as Detective Danny Messer. And two in his latest turn in, I want to say it was Sonny Grosso in The Offer for Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, it was Sonny Grosso in The Offer on Paramount+. Plus. Of course, The Offer being the miniseries about the making of The Godfather. And then you have Randy, played by Dale Godboldo, who got his start as one of the members of the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. Wow. Oh, hold on a second, guys. I just remembered. <laughs> he was recently indicted, like, back in January in a PPP fraud. Wait, what? I'm not kidding. Hold on a second. Let me try to find this. Oh. Oh. I actually have the release from the U.S. Department of Justice. Oh, good. Is this direct from Merrick Garland himself? This is directly from Merrick Garland himself, or somebody acting in his stead, of course. He was indicted for a PPP fraud with 18 other people to the tune of more than 3 million from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Georgia. These defendants allegedly took advantage of the emergency lending provisions of the Paycheck Protection Program that were intended for business owners suffering from the economic effects caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The charge reinforces our resolve to hold accountable those who steal pandemic relief funds and use them for their own personal gain. Man, if only he was quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then he'd be fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, here it is. Dale Godbaldo, 46, of Valley Village, California, is charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud, and money laundering in connection with his involvement in the loans obtained by his business, Mahout Star LLC, and the loan obtained by Bryanston Square Incorporated. Of course, as always, in the criminal justice system in the United States, the accused are innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. Uh, uh, the ironic thing is, he played a lawyer in People vs. O.J. Simpson, uh, American Crime Story. Yeah. You know what I remember that series most for? What do you remember that series most for? David Schwimmer as Robert Kardashian saying juice all the time. We gotta get you dressed, Juice. <laughs> Got it, Juice. When Chris and I broke up, the Juice was there for me every night. It's like he's not really the Juice anymore. We gotta get you dressed, Juice. Juice, Juice, a will? Juice, Juice, Juice. Come on, Juice. Juice! Juice, a will? <laughs> you don't sound like Ross Geller to me? And rounding out the cast is... Mary Lynn Ricegub playing the role of Diana, who has a very unique relationship 
with the group. But I believe she was only like on the pilot. Yeah, she was only on the pilot and maybe the second episode afterwards. But after that, she was replaced by Jolie Jenkins, who would later go on to star as Katie's mom in Alexa and Katie on Netflix. But Mary Lynn Rice Gubb, known for being one of the best comedians out there, and for two big roles, both of them in shows that are favorites of ours. As Agent Chloe O'Brien on 24, and as Gail the Snail on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And like I said, they have a very unique living arrangement because they share a kitchen. The band shares a kitchen with their next door neighbor, Diana. You figure that one out. All right. And yeah, uh, most of their adventures center around getting gigs, getting dates, getting dates, and just weird stuff in general. A lot of weird stuff in general happens to these guys. And hilarity ensues. And hilarity really ensues. And like we said, all of this is fleshed out in the pilot with Scott talking to the fourth wall, explaining how they ended up in L.A. and how they discovered that their record contract was rendered null and void because they looked at the record company and said, what the f***? Wait a minute, where is what the funk? Oh, it's not here anymore. They kept selling crappy bands, so they went broke, and we took them out of business. Well, that's bad news, isn't it? Not unless you like ice cream. So, nowadays, they live off of their residuals from their signing bonus, and they spend their days looking at the girl next door take her top off. I wish I was kidding, I'm not. It's 1999, folks. Who the hell's living next door? Will Dove from Too Many Cooks? <laughs> there's a there's a callback for you, Greg. Will Dove. Oh, God. Anyway, Scott catches Randy and Dennis spying on the girl in the apartment opposite when they discover that her boyfriend is cheating on her. You dirty dog. Scott asks the others to help him plant a pair of Diana's panties to ensure that she breaks up with him. With Dennis and Diana on the lookout, Randy helps Scott get inside the apartment where he ends up having a fight with her parrot, Buster. (laughs) Has a fight with her parrot. Parrot Buster. But okay, can we talk about the guest stars on this pilot? Of which there are many. Yes. Where to start? Oh, the first one, though. Oh, does this scream 1999 to you guys? Cindy Morgolis. She's literally the girl next door. She was the it girl of the internet back in the late 90s. She was the most downloaded woman online. Of course, this was 1999. And, well, use your imagination, kids. 
and playing the role of the pizza guy, because one thing that these guys do is they like to harass the pizza guy out of a uh, free pizza. And uh, they do get one on 31 minutes. The problem is the pizza man is Paul White. Which means, well, well, it's the big show. Well, it's a big man show tonight. Yeah, they happen to get the big show as a pizza delivery guy. Yeah. And another thing is, this is how absurd this first episode is. He makes, in the last two minutes of the episode, he looks at the camera and makes a plug for WWF SmackDown. (laughs) That's such a Vince move. I'm sorry. (laughs) To plug his own show during one of his uh, wrestlers' guest spots. Come on, Big Show, we need to have you plug SmackDown on Shazza McNasty, pal. Hey, the cast of Shasta McNasty returns the favor. Or at least one of the recurring characters did. And that recurring character would show up in the next episode. Oh, by the way, before we get to the next episode, directed by Dennis Dugan. Yeah, because if I recall, didn't uh, Big Daddy come out in 1999? I want to say it. Yeah, because he directed Big Daddy. He directed Big Daddy. And two years before that, he directed Beverly Hills Ninja, Happy Gilmore, and his directorial debut, Problem Child. Oh, Problem Child. Love the movie, hate the cartoon. No, the cartoon was not that good. Yeah, we might cover the cartoon on a future episode. Who knows? Hey, the only good thing about that cartoon, it had the voice of Gilbert Gottfried. Yes, Mr. Peabody. Before we move on, we have one more name that was in the pilot, and he does appear in a couple of episodes. Playing a character named Vern, this is a stretch. Vern Troyer. Yeah, he's a recurring character on this show. So that takes us to episode two, Chico, right? Yes, episode two, Little Dude. During dinner with Scott's girlfriend, Karen... The boys get caught up in a brawl with Vern, a little person employed by the restaurant. When the boys discover that he's been fired, Scott tries to find him another job while Dennis, Randy, and Vern spend the days goofing off. Elsewhere, Randy is offered the important job of arranging a fundraiser with special guest speaker Gary Coleman, which ultimately results in heartbreak for one of the boys. Now, at this point, uh, they replaced uh, Mary Lynn Ricegub with Jolie Jenkins as Diana. And she will uh, play out for the rest of the season. And playing the role of Karen, who is a recurring character, is Nicole Forrester, who... Wow. She was actually in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice as LeBlanc, the library president. But mostly she was in all 12 episodes of Future Entry, Boss. And she played a receptionist in previous entry, Mr. Sterling. Obviously, you can't have a Gary Coleman episode without Gary Coleman. So we have a Gary Coleman. What else needs to be said? Oh, you want to know what else needs to be said? Oh, I know what else needs to be said. Don't go to that bike shop with Dudley. 
Okay, I thought Greg was going to say it, but I said it. No, well, yeah, why would you go to that bike shop with Dudley? Stay why? the hell away from that bike shop. Peter Griffin said it best. You have to stay the hell away from that bike shop. And in the role of Playmate Cindy, Heather Kozar. Oh, Heather Kozar. Oh, and do you want to say what I showed you earlier today in the Facebook chat? I would love to see what you showed me in the Facebook chat. <laughs> the most 1999 image ever. Yes. This is the uh, following week's SmackDown. And the lower third, Heather Kozar and Cindy Margolis, guest stars on Shasta McNasty. <laughs> Of course, this is after Cindy Margolis was on Prices, right? But before Heather Kozar was. And also because I find it really fascinating being a Browns fan. And also because Heather Kozar is from Ohio. Heather Kozar was married to Tim Couch, the initial quarterback when the Browns returned in 1999. I'm just going to let you talk, Mike. I'm just going to let you talk. I'm just like ruminating over that. That that this is such a great, great little tidbit. And also, Tim Couch is like, like four days older than Buster Black. Oh my gosh! If only he knew Alex Guerrero. Well, if only he can hit a receiver. <laughs> oh dear God! But yeah, but but yeah, if if he knew Alex Guerrero, we'd be talking about. The 24th season of Tim Couch as the starting quarterback. And every news outlet at ESPN would be like, wow, this is so amazing. Tim Couch is playing so good at 45. How is he doing this? We're not even going to mention the whole Playboy thing. Oh, yeah. She was in Playboy. Oh, and she was also one of those models on Price is Right in 2001-2002. And as I shared with Greg and Chico before the show, I went to my first Prices Right taping in 2001, and I was like staring at Heather Kozar the whole time. <laughs> Not in a creepy manner, mind you. No. Not creepy at all. Okay, why isn't my blood sugar monitor buzzing? I want the Nugenics to go ah. off. Damn okay. my healthy living. Okay. Episode three. Adult education. After discovering that the Squid Mado stand is closing down, Randy blends his own and gets Dennis to endorse it with the locals before appearing as a guest on When Ben Stein's Money. Meanwhile, Diana, who finds herself strangely attracted to Dennis's genius, is eager to seek out the truth, and Scott enrolls in night school only to develop a crush on his married teacher. Now, wait a second. I got a big issue here. Mm-hmm. I've heard of Clamato, which is disgusting in and of itself. Squidmato? Squidmato. I'll pass. That sounds nasty. Don't know what to tell you. It was a fictional drink on this fictional show. But the game show reference was real because guess who guest starred as the host of Win Ben Stein's Money on this episode? Patrick Wayne? That's right. Patrick Wayne. No, it was Ben Stein. Yes. 
And, oh, another big name on this show, playing the role of Meb, Iqbal Teba. Of course, you remember him as Principal Figgins on Glee. And playing the role of Barbara the Teacher would be Cheryl Kennard, who, aside from playing being married, was actually quite busy in this time frame. She was actually on an episode of VIP. Ooh, VIP. Yeah, she played the Pretty Girl of the Week. And she was also on an episode of Melrose Place, where she also played a Pretty Girl of the Week. But her credit, her credit is, and I kid you not on Melrose Place, as God is my witness, I am not making this up. It is Pretty Girl. Pretty Girl. But nowadays, she makes her living as a dialect coach. Episode 4. Chubby Chick. Oh, come on. No, that's the name of the episode. No, I get that, but really? I know it was 1999, but really? The episode names get progressively worse, Mike. Thanks for the heads up. It's like uh, like how meta it is. It's like, okay, we all know this show is terrible. Let's just make it even more terrible next time. But episode four, Chubby Chick. Dennis thinks that his chubby girlfriends will dump him when she loses weight. Elsewhere, after not being able to watch the Notre Dame game in Captain Bob's or any other bar local to them, Randy convinces Scott to steal their neighbor's cable so they can watch the game. Unfortunately, their neighbor has a love of Spanish soap operas. Dios mío! Hey, look who wrote this episode. Karen Lucas? She was a contestant coordinator on Family Feud back in the 70s and 80s. Wow. But also among her credits, she was a producer on Time Machine. Oh, well, John, John, can you come up here? Hey, John, what do you, hey, hey, John Davidson, say something about Shasta McNasty real quick. If you're watching us for the first time, maybe you don't know, this is our very first show, but we plan to be here for a very long time. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Never gets old. Never gets old. We, We need our time machine references every now and then. Episode 5, The Return of Buster. Scott convinces Dennis and Randy to spend Halloween watching scary movies with him, but he soon finds himself in the middle of his very own mashup of popular horror flicks when he has a nightmare about Buster the Parrot. Oh, guess who's back in this episode? James Sloan is the voice of Buster. No, Cindy Morgolis is back. Her, too, because Buster is her parent. Yes. And playing a role of Buff Dennis is Roland Kickinger, who is, uh, he played Arnold Schwarzenegger in a made-for-TV movie about his life, but also known as the dumb himbo on Son of the Beach with Tim Stack. Friend of the podcast, Tim Stack. Oh, I love that show. Son of the Beach. He played Chip Rommel, like the ultimate lunkhead. That is just absolutely great. Oh, time out. Speaking of Tim Stack, hold on. 
This is CNN Breaking News. By the way, I want to mention, I discovered through one of my places at work about the wonders of virtual box. Right. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to install Windows 98 on VirtualBox and play some of my old PC games. And oh, one, I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going. And one of them is Outburst, because remember, Tim Stack was the host of Outburst on PC. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That was really one of my favorite adaptations of a board game to CD-ROM. Oh, Outburst. They don't make them like that. Oh, no. Hasbro Interactive back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they made quality. Yep. And then they were bought out by infograms and things took a turn. And then it became Atari and now they're selling crappy like Android boxes and trying to sell you NFTs. Sad. Sad. Oh, wait a minute. You also mentioned that Arnold Schwarzenegger TV movie. Was that that one from VH1 back in, like, 2003? Somewhere around that area. We had uh, Roland Kickinger playing young Arnold and Rutger Hauer playing old Arnold. Yes! I I didn't even realize that was Rutger Hauer playing old Arnold in that movie. But, yeah, Rutger Hauer, that is amazing. He is a ver- he is a veritable genius in acting, and so is Roland Kickinger, who's a veritable oh, yeah. genius in being Arnold Schwarzenegger. Actually, played the T eight hundred in Terminator Salvation, a movie that is best left forgotten. Well, no, it gave us this. Oh, good for you! Thanks, Christian. Loved you in Thor: Love and Thunder, by the way. Episode six. Angels in lingerie are devils in disguise. With the help of Randy and Diana, Scott attempts to transform Tina, a clumsy waitress, into a sexy lingerie model. She has trouble finding a job when they realize that she looks exactly the same as Victoria's Secret model Suzanne Lonza. Dennis tries to help out and lands himself a job in the process. This is beginning to read like a bunch of scripts for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Just my thought. But yeah, playing a dual role as both Tina and Suzanne Lanza is Suzanne Lanza. Duh. Hey, look who directed this episode. Yep, I saw who directed the episode. Savage Steve Holland talking about Eek the Cat. Talking about the whammy on Press Your Luck. Talking about Better Off Dead. One Crazy Summer. Wait a minute. We mentioned the wait. Wait. Where? Where is he? Oh, I uh, guess. I guess uh, he's. Oh. Sorry, dying reaction. Oh, hi, whammy. Hey. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked to you. Well, you know, I was so excited over that episode that aired last week. When I got to steal like $430,000, I was just doing a big dance. <laughs> but then some bastard last night, he took me for a lot of money and I'm pissed. Oh, uh, well. Hey, Wavy, did you ever watch Shasta McNasty? 
I almost got McNasty with a can of Shasta. Does that count? Oh, oh no! Get no, out of here! No! 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 Thanks, Jack. Get out of here right now. Thank you, Jack. Bye bye. Get oh, out. Uh, yeah. Oh, one more name in this episode, and it's a big name if you're a fan of The Loud House. Playing a photographer is Nika Futterman. Of course, she plays Lola and Luna. So, episode seven. Viva Las Vegas. Dennis convinces Randy and Scott to come on his road trip to Las Vegas following the sequence of his free coupon book. The trip turns into a disaster when Scott's former high school girlfriend sticks his new boyfriend, a hitman, onto the boys. Only in Vegas, folks. Playing the role of Scott's ex is Diana Uribe, who at this time would probably be wrapping up her role on California Dreams as Lorena Marina Costa. But looking uh, at the waitress played by Lisa Boyle. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah! Yes! I don't know where you're going with this, but where I was going to go is taking a look at her credits. She's in a lot of what appear to be very softcore porn movies oh. that aired on basic cable. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! But beyond that, she was on two episodes of Silk Stockings. Later episodes. Look, 95, 96 appears. Well, it's the middle of Silk Stockings run. But you know what that means. What the hell is that? That's Nugenics. It's not my blood sugar monitor for once. Uh, oh, she was actually... Uh a recurring rogues gallery of Black Scorpion lost a sci-fi superhero series. Oh, is this about the Black Scorpion from WCW? No, it's about a vigilante superhero named the Black Scorpion that was created by Roger Corman. Is it voiced by Ole Anderson? No. Oh, well, I don't care. Is that on the list? What? I mean, Roger Cor. I, I can put. We can put both of those on the list for all I care. What the Black Scorpion show and the Black Scorpion? Well, no, because the Black Scorpion WCW would be covered under WCW under Jim Hurd, so we don't have to worry about that. Okay, so Black Scorpion Roger Corman TV show. Yeah. Okay. Episode eight, the Thanksgiving show. Oh God, I've been waiting for this. <sighs> Follow me, boys. When the boys take a trip to the homeless shelter on Thanksgiving, Dennis is reunited with his deadbeat father, Jack. Jack moves in with the boys, but soon they're all sick of him and try to get him and his stripper (laughs) girlfriend back together so he will move back out. Okay, let's just say who the dad is. Playing the role of Dennis's deadbeat dad, Jack. Gary <laughs> so we have Jake Busey's character's dad being played by his own dad. That's the joke. <laughs> oh boy. And his stripper girlfriend. Because <laughs> this is Shasta McDassie. It can't just be his girlfriend. It has to be his stripper girlfriend. It has to be his stripper girlfriend. Oh, 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 geez. 
Too bad this isn't when like uh, Pac-Man Jones was around. They could be making oh, it rain. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, oh. hey guys, I, I think I'm going to introduce a new segment here uh-huh. in, in relation to uh, Gary Busey's character. The, the new game is called "Is This Typecasting?" Is this typecasting? Yes. Okay, oh. I just want to make sure. Oh, it's definitely typecasting. That is great. Oh yeah, my we should gosh. we should work we should work on an opening sting for is it typecasting? <laughs> oh, and sadly the the uh, the stripper girlfriend is a nobody. Oh, well, that's a oh. shame. Yeah. That's, that's a shame. Gary Busey's stripper girlfriend. <laughs> but you know what? She went out on a high note. She played Gary Busey's stripper girlfriend. How do you top that? Is that a high note or a low note? I'm sorry. Both. Covering <laughs> <laughs> oh. all the bases, it's a high note and a low note. <laughs> Oh god, I'm trying to keep it together, guys. We still have we still have like what fourteen more episodes? Oh yeah, we still have a lot to go in this. Okay. Okay. E- episode nine, The Menace from Venice. The boys decide to turn Vern into a professional boxer after he gets into a fight with another little person in a club. With disastrous results until Scott steps in to train him, and things get a bit sticky. When a local fight promoter wants in on his terms. Is there a market for little people boxing? There's got to be. I mean, you know about little person wrestling. Yeah. But Uh I've never seen little person boxing. Go figure. You know what? Yo, I'm good. I got an idea. Okay, you ready? Oh no! Oh, no! God. Don't no 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 I, 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 no! Greg, Greg, don't do it. Little person, little person MMA, little person MMA. We could make a whole bunch of money on it. No, we we could have like a tiny like octagon style ring. You don't think people would go for it? You 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 could go for it, but you have to get really drunk first. They're going to fight in an octagon. The octagon's going to be the size of a stop sign. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, shit. We're going to hell. No, I'm, you're, going, no. I'm going to hell. I'm sorry. Yeah, you were going to hell already. Now you're just enjoying it. Oh, I'm going first class. We need to save that for the outtake show. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, we, okay. Any guest stars in this episode? We have the beginning of a recurring character named Eric, played by John Samantin, who is known as... Well, actually, he played an Oompa Loompa on Epic Movie, but his second biggest movie role <laughs> was as Larigo in Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. Oh, Wow! Chico, I have a question. Yes. Would, would that be his second biggest role or his second shortest role? Get out of here, Mike! <laughs> oh, Mike, come on! That's terrible! I'm sorry! 
hey, 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 Mike, Mike. What? He is no longer with us. Yeah, so, show some respect. Show some respect. You put some respect on his name. So he was buried four feet under. Okay. <laughs> I'm out. Good night. <laughs> okay. Episode 10, Bedworthy. Oh, thank God we're moving on to another episode. Uh, <laughs> unable to pay his share of the rent, Dennis agrees to babysit the landlord's grandchildren. He entertains them with a story involving the boys, Diana, and a bed. Oh, fantastic. And the only real name in this episode is J.P. Manu, who plays Nikolai, and that's only because he played Congressman Clark on Veep. Oh, okay. A savage Steve Allen connection. Okay. Yeah. Well, well he was also the naked Armenian in the Reno 911 movie. Oh, jeez. I thought, actually, there was, like, a naked Armenian in the regular TV show, but I don't see a credit for that for him. Oh, thank God. Okay. That could have been really awkward. Hey, Reno 911 is one of my favorites from, like, 15, 20 years ago. And yet, you can't watch Tom Lennon on the pyramid. Because he's not wearing his short shorts. Episode 11. Big Brother. When the boys return from Tijuana, they learn that Eduardo, a bullfighter, has stowed away in their trunk in order to find his long-lost fiancé. Meanwhile, Dennis joins the Big Brother program, but his little brother soon begins copying his every move. No, don't! Don't, kid! You should not idolize Dennis! Don't! Do do, do not! uh, No one should idolize Jake Busey. No! Especially, did you even watch Stranger Things Season 3, kid? Okay, playing the role of Eduardo, Eric Estrada. Uh, Hey, I know he's not John Shuck, but that deserves something. I mean, come on. Thank you. No, you know what I'm going to give him? I'm going to give him the time that he punched out uh, Bill Maher on Pictionary. Tree. 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 Yellow tie, yellow ribbon around the tree. I forgot. Now that that deserves the uh, studio audience applause. That was such a great moment. He punched out Bill Moore on Pictionary. That was such a fantastic moment. Oh my god. Sadly, there was no such moment for uh, the other known name in this episode, playing the role of Maria, his fiancée, and Dallas DeLeon, a.k.a. Dallas from NTV. Oh, really? Wow. And I think we should also mention that Pictionary is coming back this fall w- without the uh, fisticuffs. Yeah, but with 100% more Jerry O'Connell. And we're all good for that. And actually, as we record this, Jerry O'Connell's going to be at the Cuyahoga County uh, Fair, I believe, tomorrow, playing Pictionary. Oh, hey, awesome. Tell him we said what up. Well, I'm not going there. I- uh, I've got other plans. Oh, uh, well, okay. I-, I was going to say, hey, tell him I love his wife on Strange New Worlds. Yes. Be- because his wife is Rebecca Romaine. Yes. Rebecca Romaine is on Strange New Worlds, and she kills it. 
No, she is number one. Guy. She is number one. Get she's it? number one on the ship, and she's number one in our hearts. Number one on the ship, and number one in our hearts. Jerry O'Connell is so lucky. Hey, you go from the fat kid from Stand By Me to be married to Rebecca Romaine. Life is great. Oh, wait a minute. You know who else was in Stand By Me, Mike? Ooh, ooh, I, ooh, me, 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 pick me. Chico, pick me. Chico, say it. Quill Wheaton. That's right. Quill Wheaton was in Stand By Me. Jerry O'Connell was in Stand By Me with Quill Wheaton. Yes, Quill Wheaton was in Stand By Me with Jerry O'Connell. Will Wheaton. Who just turned 50. Will, Will Wheaton. Turn, turn Will 50. Wheaton just turned 50. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Did you ever sleep with Whoopi Goldberg? All the time. <laughs> Episode 12. Leo is a pain in my ass. After a brief stint dressed as a cow, Dennis sells people looks at the Leonardo DiCaprio-shaped rash it left on his behind in order to collect money to pay the ranch. <laughs> hi, hi, Crystal. Elsewhere, Scott tries his hand at working a skate shop before Mexican wrestling. Okay, we got two names in this episode, guys. The uh, amuse-bouche is a return appearance by Roland Kickinger as Big Weightlifter, but the two big names. Playing the role of girl number two is Jamie Bergman, who was also on Son of the Beach with uh, Roland Kickinger and Tim Stack as BJ Cummings. Get it? <laughs> Get it? <laughs> BJ Cummings. Only from Howard Stern. She was also in Playboy. And the other big name, playing the role of Rusty Dugan, probably as a salute to director Dennis Dugan, Michael Berger. Yes, that Michael Berger. Yes, Michael Berger of Mike and Maddie and Match Game 98. Oh, and that one season of Home and Family on the Family Channel. Yeah, that one season. Yeah, the the one with the Christina Ferrari. Mm-hmm. The one where after Chuck Woolery said, I'm done. God, that sounds familiar. Anyway, episode 13, The Crush. The band brainstorms new ideas for names when they discover they cannot use the McNasty in Shasta McNasty. Meanwhile, Diana tries to sabotage Scott's latest relationship after she reveals she has romantic feelings for him. Are you serious? Really? In episode 13? Of all the episodes, you want to go at it on the 13th one? That's so predictable. I have a question. Why is the McNasty part the uh, part of the uh, band name that is bad. You think the Shasta one would be because Shasta is a beverage. Well, didn't they rebrand this show as just simply Shasta? Yeah, I believe it would be after this episode. Oh, mercy. That's what I get for sleepwalking through the late 90s and early 2000s. 
hey, I was in college, so, you know, I had other things to think about. I was too busy watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire to bother with this. Hey, we'll get to the schedule later, all right? Okay. Okay, okay. Oh, episode 14, The F Word. Diana accidentally draws Scott's ex-girlfriend to him when she attempts to find out more about his past. Meanwhile, Dennis encounters perfume withdrawal as he searches to find his girlfriend the perfect gift for Valentine's Day. And Randy tries to encourage Diana to talk to Scott about her feelings before he reaches out to his ex. And yes, we have returned appearances by Nicole Forrester as Scott's ex and J.P. Manu as Nikolai. And playing the perfume girl, Lindsay Stoddard. This would be a, a year or two after she was done being the announcer of VH1's My Generation. Oh, that was her! That was her, yes. And of course, she also spent some time in the hallways of Scrubs. And she was on one episode of How I Met Your Mother. Cool. I never pass up a moment to mention How I Met Your Mother on this show. Well, you know what we have to do in celebration of that? What's that? That's a penis! Damn it, Greg. We miss you, Charlie. Episode 15. True Size. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, no. Damn it, Jeff Easton and Dennis Dugan. Vern enlists the help of Michelle and Diana when a scam leaves his bank account empty. Who would want to take money from a nice little guy like this? Oh, I bet you who would take money from him. Jeff Ross. That son of a bitch. (laughs) Damn it, Jeff Ross. Why are you trying to do that to Vern Troyer? He ain't do nothing to you. No. No, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do, do that, that to poor Vern no, Troyer. This is, you're, the, you're supposed to be an example. You're the Roastmaster General. Yeah, you don't do that to Mini-Me. Come on. Okay, but guys, oh, unfortunately, after this episode, the show was placed on hiatus. For extensive retooling? Yeah. They got rid of most of the... Uh, fourth wall breakage, most of the narrative devices, most of the dirty jokes, and half of the show's name. So it would just be Shasta. And sadly, it would not be a half-hour commercial for Soda. But it would return when the season was over on May 30th for what I imagine is burning out the rest of the order. Episode 16 the shortest de- oh gee oh god <laughs> yeah at this point they know it's over anyway burn <laughs> well say the whole title name you just said shortest and then you 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 petered out there yeah the shortest yard get it it's because Vern Troyer is short Yes, yes, we we get that. Uh, Vern bets his arch-rival that his less-than-great Pee-wee League football team will win a game. Meanwhile, Scott and Randy bribe a cheerleading team to appear by telling them that an L.A. Lakers cheerleading scout will be in the crowd. 
Oh, dear God. So we have a name in this episode. Playing the role of Cliff is Rick Duckerman. Oh, yes. We talked about him previously in The Last Precinct. Of course, he would be in uh, The Burbs and Groundhog Day. Scary movie. Spaceballs. And Blank Check. Don't forget Blank Check. With Brian Bonsall. Many people think Macaulay Culkin was in Blank Check, but no, it was it was... Brian Bonsall. Oh, yeah. Oh, hold on a second. Riff Tracks just recently put, like, this scary, this thriller that has a Brian Bonsall in it from, like, 1990. Oh, it's called Mikey. The movie's called Mikey. I remember and- that movie. That was, and- uh, like, the director video. That was one of those director video jobs, wasn't it? Oh, and he's a f- that movie. He's oh, fucking- he is nuts. He is insane. Don't you f***ing go near Brian Bonsall and Mikey, because he will f- kill you. All right, Shiki. <laughs> yeah, good heavens. We need to break out the sensor button there, Greg. Well, you know what? It's not quite as bad as Shiki trying to put Michael Richards in the camel clutch. Oh, by the way, we didn't put the whole thing, but one part that I loved in that thing is how the Iron Sheik talked about his friend at the Good Morning America, Mac Louder. Louder? Mac Louder. And also, he challenged into a match in either the Iron Sheik challenged Michael Richards to a match in either Canada or New Jersey. <laughs> All right, I'll challenge you to a match in Canada, but if that doesn't work out in New Jersey, that's perfectly fine. Oh, jeez. Okay. Okay. Episode 17, Bachelorette Party. When Diana's boss makes her throw a bachelorette for his fiancé, she is convinced by the boys to have it at Captain Burns' bar, with the boys doing the catering. The boys, however, have other plans as Burns installs a secret two-way mirror and begins charging people to watch the party. The bride-to-be convinces Dennis to bring out the kinky lingerie and the stripper making it a night none of them will soon forget. Oh, I bet it! will be a night they won't forget. Yeah. Oh, guess who's back in this episode? Erica Estrada. Yeah. Playing just a generic Mexican cop. Not, not even the same character he was earlier. A Mexican cop. Maybe he's related to that character. We don't know. Yeah. Could be a frumpy waitress, Victoria's Secret model sort of situation. It could be like how, in future entry, the Tom Poston Home Improvement trilogy, Tom Poston plays three different characters on Home Improvement. What? I play three different characters? Oh, no! Tom, you're going to be at the Pontiac Silverdome for a Lions game with Tim. What? I'm going to be at the Pontiac Silverdome with Tim the Toolman Taylor at a Lions game? Oh, no! Oh, well, Tom Poston, it'll be fine. Yeah, the Lions will lose, but Barry Sanders will probably get about 250 yards. I bet you he will. Oh, and Herman Moore will probably get 100 receiving yards, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Episode 18, The Sugar Pill. Shasta gets the chance to perform for a record executive at Captain Burns' bar, 
although the run-up to it doesn't go smoothly when Dennis ingests a vast amount of psychotropic pills, believing them to be sugar. Vern blackmails Scott into having a double date with his date sister, Michelle and Diana's early arrival at the bar, and Randy trying to deal with both of his friends' problems. So, in short, it's just an audition. Yeah, basically. Well, I do have one name I recognize in the uh, guest cast in this episode. Playing the role of Erica is Pamela Paulshock, who was a backstage interviewer for WCW around 1999 to 2000, which I find funny because this show was on UPN. That is funny. Yeah. Because WWF SmackDown was on UPN. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and we're going to use that SmackDown connection in our next episode. The Quiz, episode 19. Here we go. The Quiz. After another one of Dennis's ideas for theme nights at Vern's goes awry, they come up with an idea for underwear night and trick Scott into being the poster boy. Meanwhile, Diana claims she's over Scott and thanks Randy for his help by hooking him up with one of her workmates who turns out to be perfect for him, until Dennis gets involved. Oh, well, that certainly spells trouble. But okay, playing a guest star in this episode, Grandmaster Sexay himself, Brian Lawler, the son of Jerry the King Lawler. And by the way, um, I don't know if you watched Young Rock Season 2, but Brian Lawler is actually a character in the second season of Young Rock. Hmm. I wonder who plays him. Yeah, well, it's uh, two phases. Like, um, he's in uh, the Memphis scenes in um, 87, and then um, when uh, older Rock is on the way of being called up to the WWF in season two, you see a much older version of him later on down the line. So, Okay. One more name I gotta throw out. I can't believe I'm saying this. Playing Little Joe. He goes in this episode as Melvin Shorty Rossi. But his, his, his name... Hold on. His name on IMDb is Luigi Francis Shorty Rossi. The, besides the name, there actually is a reason I mentioned this. If you remember uh, about... I'd say about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, there was a reality show on Animal Planet called Pit Boss, where it was uh, about pit bulls. I think it was like a pit bull rescue agency. He was on that show as himself. Oh, cool. On Pit Boss. But also, and I'll admit, I've seen this because this even uh, like 10 years later reruns all the time on uh, Discovery Family, like in the afternoon is a series called America's Cutest, where they uh, vote on, like, America's Cutest Dog or America's Cutest Cat. Oh, that's nice! Oh, it's one of those nice little uh, shows that, to take your mind off all the, the troubles of your day, seeing all these cute little dogs and cats. If you remember uh, World's Most Whatever, uh, the series on True TV, where you had uh, celebrities like Todd Bridges and <laughs> and Tanya Harding and... Uh, and Danny Bonaducci commenting about, you know, the stupid uh, stunts or stupid criminals or whatnot. It was that type of show where 
they just showed a bunch of pets and these no names generally were like, oh, look at the cute little puppy. Oh, look at the cute kitty cat. Like I said, it reruns all the time on uh, on Discovery uh, Family in like the early afternoon. I imagine they have to pare down uh, the really funny bits to uh, appease to the Discovery Family audience. Well, no, they, there's not really any dirty parts. I mean, it, it was intended for families and kids to begin with, so it's family friendly. Okay. Episode 20, Blue Flu. When Diana gets offered a job in New York, Scott is faced with a difficult decision regarding his feelings for her and his relationship with Michelle. Elsewhere, Dennis temporarily moves into Vern's crash pad while he awaits the arrival of the model he met while skiing, and Randy tries to convince Vern that the speakers he bought are not the right ones for the bar. Not really uh, many people in the way of guests on this. The closest one I can remember is uh, Nicole Furster returning as Scott's ex, and an unnamed woman played by one of the main casts of Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. Cool. Episode 21. Play dead, clown. Scott's current girlfriend asks him to babysit her eight-year-old daughter, who, according to Diana, can make or break their relationship. When Randy and Dennis have the bright idea of inviting the Jaeger girls up to the apartments for a party, Scott and Diana take it upon themselves to hire a clown for the little girl with hilarious consequences. A.K.A. Hilarity Ensues. Yep. And playing the role of the eight-year-old Chloe in an early role in her career, Caitlin Walks, who you remember from all 19 episodes of Commander-in-Chief and the short-lived reboot of Family Affair. They actually rebooted Family Affair. Didn't we talk about this in one episode? I was just going to say that we talked about that maybe about three, four months ago. They rebooted Family Affair. I'm like, what? They rebooted Family Affair? Why would they reboot Family Affair? Wait, hold on. Who played Mr. French? I remember going nuts about who played Mr. French. In the original or the new? Oh, the, the remake. Wasn't it like someone we knew? It was or... Tim Curry. Tim Curry was Mr. French. And Gary Cole was uh, Uncle Bill. So Gary Cole was in the Brian Keefe role? Yep. Wow. So does that mean we can get Gary Cole and a reboot of Hardcastle McCormick? But who would you get to play McCormick? I don't know. Somebody. Some up-and-coming actor. I don't know. The clown in this episode was played by Jeff Doucette, who's done a lot of stuff for many years. Nothing uh, of consequence, if you will. But I need to add the clown's name. Twinkles the Clown. Episode 22. And this is perhaps the most meta of all the episodes. Behind the Band 2010. In the series concluding episode, 10 years later, 
It is revealed that Shasta McNasty did become famous and highly successful, but ego, addiction, infighting, and creative differences took their toll. Now we discuss their fame since being signed after the gig featured in The Sugar Pill. So I guess it all worked out for them. That's it. That's the show! So, what happened besides duh? Well, it premiered after an episode of WWF SmackDown. That, because of the drawing power of the Attitude Era, because this would be smack dab in the middle of the Attitude Era, that drew 4.52 million viewers, which was a lot for UPN in 1999. But after people tuned in, people tuned out almost just as quickly. Your classic grand opening, grand closing sort of thing. Yeah, it's like we saw this. No. Okay, so can we play, uh, let's look at the schedule. Why, yes, yes we can. So the preview episode aired on Friday night after SmackDown, which helped it gain an audience. The next week, it was on its regular time on October 5th, which would have been a Tuesday. They repeated that preview episode right after the premiere. And they both scored a 1.8, according to our friends at TV Tango. It was up against Spin City, Jag, the Half Hour Alley, because if you remember, they condensed Alley McBeal to half an hour and sort of turned it into a sitcom. And the ALDS on NBC. Which uh, game of the ALDS? Because it was Yankees Rangers, but I don't remember. Yeah, it was okay. Yankees Rangers. Yankees Texas. Okay, because that was also the ever series. Oh, I don't want to bring this up to Mike, but it was uh, Cleveland against Boston. Mm. I don't want to bring up the what happened in Game Five. I don't. I'm not going to bring it up. But yeah, looking at all the things that aired opposite Shasta McNasty, it was on for an hour on UPN. On ABC, you had Spin City, and it's like, you know, that's the name of the show, folks. It's like, you know. Yeah, that's the show that had Jennifer Grey in it. Playing herself. Playing herself. Although, oddly, doesn't mention anything about her marrying Agent Coulson. No, it does not. Shame. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we could have gotten some inside gigs on how he wrote What Lies Beneath. True story. Clark Gregg wrote What Lies Beneath. Oh, neat! Thanks, excited Toys R Us kid. On Fox, you had Allie, not Allie McBeal, just Allie, and that 70s show. On the WB, you had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and on NBC at the ALDS with the Rangers and the Yanks. But leading the night, Jag. Oh, yeah. America, they wanted their Catherine Bell. And their David James Elliott. 
And it didn't get any better the next week. No. When you had the NLCS with the Braves and the Mets. And remember, this is 1999, so the Braves would be America's team. No, they weren't, because they kept losing in the freaking playoffs every year, dummy. Well, it was only America's team because Ted Turner made it their team. Thank you. And also, I hate to say it, Atlanta did get their uh, World Series win in 1995. Yeah, but that's against. not saying. Against, yeah, yeah. Against. Against. Yeah. Against your. But that doesn't count. I don't count that. They were playing Cleveland, so that's like an automatic win right there. Why are you hating? <laughs> well, if they're playing Cleveland, of course they're going to win it. That's like a fact of life. I'm not saying anything. Move on. Let's just be honest. If any team deserves to be called America's team, it is the Chicago Cubs because of WGN and Harry Carey. Okay, and the week after, uh, they actually did not air Shasta McNasty. They aired uh, two episodes of Dilbert in its place. Oh, that's oh, worse. Dilbert, wow. That's horrible. We don't talk about Scott Adams. No, no, no. No. Oh, absolutely not. No. And then the two aired side by side with Shasta McNasty, followed by Dilbert, followed by the strip. What it the was... hell is the strip? I think it has something to do with uh Las Vegas. Yeah, Stacy Dash was in it, and that's all you need to know. Oh yeah. Oh, and we don't talk about Stacy Dash either. No, 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 no. 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 That doesn't even deserve a spot on... Oh, it's already on the list. Ah, crap. It's 1003. Blah. Blah. But yeah, it just did not go anywhere. It just kept at that 1.8 range. And at, at this point, UPN, desperate for a return on investment, didn't find one. So, on November 30th, they replaced it with... WWF's SmackDown's Greatest Hits. That got a three. So it wasn't the scheduling that was bad. It's that the show was terrible. Right? Yeah. That's what I'd say. Uh, Over the summer, it aired opposite. Repeats of Jag. Repeats of that 70s show. Repeats of Third Rock from the Sun, repeats of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and the one show everyone would be watching in the year 2000, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? That'll do it. It's like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire took out Shasta and then came for the entrails later that year. All right. So what do we have to say about Shasta McNasty? It was not even one of the worst shows built around a band. Oh, no. It's not as bad as everyone says it is. It's like the Ropers. Everyone says it's terrible. When you watch it, it's not really that terrible. Yeah, of course. It It's one of those shows that ages as your brain deteriorates. Like in, I have an article here from 2020 
by Randall Colburn of the AV Club, and the and the headline reads, Chasta McNasty was every bit as bad as its title. Remember, this is a season that gave us Freaks and Geeks, Mission Hill, and Clerks the Animated Series. But we are going to talk about Clerks the Animated Series, Chico, for one reason. I need to one day find the clip of Regis saying, stay tuned for Clerks after Millionaire. But here's the thing. These are some of the kindest things the critics said about this show. Outlandishly bad, depressing, aggressively stupid and offensive, and compared to being punched really hard in the nose but not falling down. I did uh, compare this show to early spec scripts of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. One line of this AV Club article. In another episode, the boys' search for girls with no self-respect leads them to an eating disorders clinic where they tell a room of anorexic women to eat a cheeseburger. Oh! Chasta McNasty's essentially what It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia would look like if it idolized its characters. If you really want to watch this show, like if you really, really want to watch this show, the entire run is available to watch for free on YouTube if you can find it. But aside from that, there's been no home media releases, no official streaming. In fact, Paramount was probably ready at the earliest of something wrong to just let this show run its course. Well, no, it's Sony. Sony owns this show. They won't even put this, I bet, on Crackle. No, not no. even. I think they sold. Uh, I think they sold Crackle to Chicken Soup Entertainment just so they wouldn't be apt to put this show on the uh, service. Oh, Crackle got bought out by Chicken Soup Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. This was like watching an early Adam Sandler movie every week, only well, not as charming. Well, look who directed episodes of this. Dennis, Dennis Dukin. Dukin. Yeah. yeah. It almost suffers from being too 90s for its own good, because if you remember watching the episode, you see a whole lot of brick grain you see a whole lot of uh, scratchy text. You see a whole lot of weird camera angles. And you see a whole lot of Sidney Margolis's body. I believe you me, I would love to see Sidney Margolis's body. But it's all out there. You know what I'm saying? It's like somebody said, okay, let's do a rock rap group. But let's just throw everything in your face. And the end result is this show. But I'll tell you right now, this show did not harm anybody's career. Uh, Jolie Jenkins and or Mary Lynn Ricegub went on to bigger and better things, as did Carmen Giovinazzo and Jake Busey. Last time I saw Jake Busey, he was in Hawkins, Indiana. But... Aside from all of that, Shasta McNasty was a very McNasty thing on TV. Yep. That's going to do it for this episode. But remember, 
you can listen to the 294 previous episodes of this podcast on ItWasAThingOnTV.com, where we have all sorts of fun stuff. We got mini-sodes, director's cuts, live watches. Oh, it'll be coming up soon. Me and Chica, we're going to do a live watch soon of episodes three and four of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. And then after that, uh, Greg and I are going to be watching Star Trek II, The Wrath of... Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jim. But in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on all social media at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, because we made them watch this crap, and so they gave us the name of It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe, share our video, because sharing is caring. Hit that notification bell. So you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, including the one we have coming at you on Thursday. Okay, guys, this is a very special episode because it's one of the people on our cast's birthday coming up. Miss Susan St. James. So, Susan, okay, this is your birthday. So we're going to do something special. We're going to let you pick. Any this, is your sh- money, this is your money in the bank, Susan. This is your money in the bank, Susan. So you can pick any show from our list, any show to your heart's content that you want us to cover on this show, okay? All right, so tell us, Susan, what do you want us to cover? Uh-oh. Really, Susan? You want us to cover the Canadian Kids Game Show? Uh-oh. Susan, are you sure about that? Uh-oh. Okay. Okay, wait, wait. Are you, are you absolutely certain? Because once I put the image on the screen, there's no take-backs. Uh-oh. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Okay, Susan. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The Lost Kids' favorite game show that's sort of both long-running and successful, but also forgotten and highly rememberable. That's coming up next time right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thanks for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Son, I'm going to tell you the most important thing my daddy told me. So one day you can tell your son. Liquor before beer, never fear. Beer before liquor, never sicker. 